Hello, and welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. We're here today with a book club episode, special episode, though becoming increasingly less special. And as soon as we're done with that, the hefty amount of book reviews we've taken on with the Penguin set, we'll be doing a lot more book clubs in the near future. But we are here today, as I mentioned, with a book club episode that is a deep dive and analytical look, ugh, analytical look, which is fun to say. I'm keeping that in. I'm not cutting that either. <laughs> keeping in all the warts. <laughs> it's the kind of nice. honesty you can expect from us on the pod. But yeah, we're doing a book club deep dive analytical episode on a science fiction fantasy collection of short stories. Joining me today is Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. Thank you. For what will be, as we'll say at the beginning, as we always do, Probably the shortest book club episode ever. We'll see how long we actually can go on about this one. But it could be it could be a short-lived episode. We are covering a collection called Octavia's Brood, which is a clear reference to Octavia Butler, an author we've previously covered on the book club episodes. We read Parable of the Sower, right? Not Talents? That's right. Okay. Parable, Parable of, the of the Sower, which was a kind of near-future dystopian novel. And this collection is titled after her because I think it takes after some of her tendencies to write in the speculative space, in that visionary near-ish future space, sometimes far future, and is includes a lot of, yeah, science fiction and fantasy. Would you, would you say that about covers the title? I think so. Yeah, any other tendencies you noticed uh, or illusions that mattered in that regard? Um, I would say maybe that, um, Oct- well, according to the editors who wrote both the intro and the outro, um, Butler's writings also um, were meant to tackle uh, current day issues and issues that she saw yeah. would be yeah. come issues later. And so uh, these writers are tackling some of those same issues. Indeed. And let me do a quick, we'll do a, We'll do our highlights in a second. Before that, I'll explain the kind of just whole notion of why we've been doing this book club series. A couple months ago, the time again in 2020 is irrelevant, some time ago uh, in the year 2020, when Black Lives Matter really picked up and protests across the country were happening, we decided to begin doing monthly book clubs on works by black authors and featuring stories that relate to that experience in America. This is a part of that series, though I will say this collection has so many authors in it and they have bios in the back and they are they are various and varied. I think... I'm pretty sure all of them would be considered people of color in the United States. I, I think that's the proper expression. But the backgrounds seem pretty pretty varied. Some immigrants, some not. Some from the Asian continent, some not. Some from South America, Central America. It's, it seemed more diverse, which is, you know, we're happy to go into those waters and tread in those waters. But this is part of that series. We chose it explicitly to be a part of that series and certainly being in line and lineage with octavia butler's legacy it works pretty well and so this collection again octavia's brood is what we'll be discussing today it is 20 or so short stories and a couple of essays too smattered in or sprinkled in for good measure and so, yeah, today we continue that work, which we still, I'm assuming, view is very important. We've got an election coming up, and I don't view it as the role of the pod to tell you how to vote. But if you're listening to this episode and listening to these book clubs focusing on black American experience, I just can't imagine you wouldn't be able to figure out where our heads are at <laughs> heading into the into the next couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, read between the lines, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway. Any thoughts on the collection so far, Amanda, or on the journey we've endured? Um, no, I, I was excited to read this one because we read Parable of the Sower, and yeah. uh, I wanted yeah. to see how much 
especially for a science fiction writer, how much that could have really affected other people's views and stuff. So it was, um, it was something that I was really looking forward to reading. Yeah, uh, me too. With that in mind. And I, and I do, I'm a sucker for, and this is maybe just as the English major in me, the teacher in me, but I, I am a sucker for a short story collection, though I almost rarely do, uh, or I almost never do anthologies. I, I like when an author puts one out for themselves just because I like to, just dive deep and investigate. I think you get a good sense of the diversity of their thought in that kind of a thing. But right. jumping from author to author here, I thought was a bit jarring at times. And so, yeah, that's what we're going to get into. Just to reiterate before we fully start and commit, a book club is an analytical deep dive. So everything in the book here, Octavia's Brood, is fair game. We'll be discussing everything, full spoilers, any quotes we want, any plot points. If that bothers you, then you can go pick up the work and read it, and then come back. We'd be happy to have you at a later time and date. If you're looking for a reading recommendation, we will kind of provide that throughout, though, again, the things we're aiming to do today are more analytical than just recommend something. Let's begin, though, with our highlights segment. This is kind of a recommendation part, so if you're listening to this and you haven't read it and you're just along for the ride thinking, maybe I'll read this, then the highlights might be able to steer you one way or another. Do you want to begin with the highlights? Because I actually just thought of one, Amanda. Do you want me to go first? Oh, yeah, go ahead. It's the diversity. the the, nice. And I don't even mean in the peoples who wrote this work or these works. You truly don't know what you're getting from one to the next. They are so, they span such a variety of theme and thought. Maybe, maybe actually not theme. We'll talk about that later. But certainly of thought and of originality and creation. And they seem to take inspiration from myriad things. So when you jump from one to another, like there's a kind of a sitcom screenplay in here at one point, there is a very brief essay reflection on star Wars and imperialism, which was comically underbaked in my mind, but it's in there. (laughs) It felt like, (laughs) it felt like a, an undergraduate paper that was written at midnight, you know, with a (laughs) 9am due date, (laughs) but it's in there. And so I, yeah, it's just, a fascinating jump between everything. And in that way, it almost kind of revitalized some of my interest in anthologies with, you know, variety of authors instead of just picking up a collection by a single voice, a singular voice, one author. So there, there is real diversity in here. Again, not only just in terms of the author backgrounds, but in the topics that they get into, the style. And yeah, it's not just straightforward short stories, though it's a majority of that. So... I think that's worth recommending that aspect. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I I think to your point, it's uh, definitely different styles of writing. Um, And there were mostly short stories, but the the later half of it um, had those excerpts from novels and also the lecture. And then there's the intro and outro, which are the nonfiction essays, yes. essentially. Yeah. So, yeah, th- it's, a, it's a smattering of things that all tie to one umbrella theme, which is yep. uh, social justice. So Yes. Yeah. We'll also mention this at this point then, too. On the front of this collection, it says stories from social justice movements. And if I had to imagine how the publisher pitched this and what they brought together. Also, this comes from a, an anarchist publisher. That's like a commune, commune collective group publishing group. I looked, I looked them up and like looked up their website and stuff. So it's a kind of a unique publisher in that regard. And they're like explicitly only, you know, they're a publisher of just works that fit in with those kinds of ideologies. 
Right. And so, yeah, these stories seemed like they were pitched and collected explicitly for this reason. Basically, take take any social issue of the current current day America and spin us spin us a story or a yarn based in that kind of reality. And mm-hmm. uh, to me, to the detriment of a lot of these, that stuff is way too explicit to the point of just like headlines being copy pasted into the stories, which that is one way to, to write fiction for sure. I don't know if it's the way I like, but we'll again, talk about that in more depth. So anything else to highlight in this, Amanda, before we get into some specifics? Sure. Um, I said that what I enjoyed, uh, about reading these stories and pieces, I said that, um, I really enjoyed some of the world building, I felt like some of the world building was actually like my favorite parts of the stories. Yeah. Yeah. But also I was like disappointed because it was like a taste of the world building and then they just like abruptly stopped and, and I didn't get a full sense. Like there was so many questions that I had about the world that they were making that I thought they could really, really make the interest, make it more interesting by going more into in depth with that stuff. But uh, a lot of stories just kind of, started to pique my interest and then it was like up oh, the end okay well <laughs> it really did raise some questions in my mind about why i have really loved certain fantasy and sci-fi short story collections in the past but it really started to raise questions in my mind about what the right word count is for a science fiction or fantasy short story or a right. speculative fiction short story because if you're just going to explicit, not explicit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Background information paragraphs? What's that? What am I called? Exposition. Exposition. I was going to say, if you're going to like explicate, if you're going to dump paragraphs of exposition, there has to be just room for that to breathe or room for it to pay off. And so right. many of these just don't. I guess you, some of them pay off, but man, it is just so fast and in your face. It's like reading a manual sometimes. A manual for a world that you won't be in for very long at all. (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, it's just, it's not done with subtlety or grace in in many of these, in in my view, I should say. I will say that I've, I think I've only read like one shorter, I've only recently gotten into sci-fi and fantasy. Um, I've always read like the classics. So I'm, yeah, which is another reason why I was like wanting to read Octavius Brutus because I actually haven't read a whole lot of sci-fi short pieces. I think the shortest piece I read was like a novella. So it's still a lot of like world development. So I don't think that I've actually read any short story pieces set in a sci-fi genre. So I was wondering how, like whether it's common for sci-fi short stories to have this issue where there's they want to develop the world but they just don't have the the space to do it or if this is unique to maybe these writers who are not actually necessarily writers full time yeah and i i purposefully after we read about i read about five of these i did text you that I was yeah. deeply concerned <laughs> that this collection was falling into some things that I was was concerned before we even started it. I did have some reservations. I have read Soviet era propaganda lit, um, frankly, from movements that I that I still hold some belief in, and it is garbage. Uh, and I and any any fiction that is born with a propagandist tinge can be just awful stuff. So pandering so heavy-handed just the worst just the worst you know it's like give me the pamphlet instead (laughs) let's just get this going you know um 
And uh, and I get that fiction is such a bridge, you know, it just it's such a bridge of understanding for people and it's an empathy machine and all of that. But you have to be you have to come with some subtlety. You have to come with some craft. Uh, And so anyway, I was concerned. I will say my concerns were mostly uh, unaddressed or, or did not change too much throughout the collection. But yeah, it it's done in an explicit way. And so to wrap back to the original point, I don't want to digress too much. I don't think I read any of the bios cause I, if it's published, it's published in my view. And I, I don't, I, I hopefully we won't be overly critical of any one thing in here. Um, not that any author of the authors would ever hear or see this. And if they did, I, I certainly won't be ashamed of the things we'll say again. I'm not here to just rip something and be personal right. or whatever. But I almost didn't want to look because I I don't want to see a short story and have a hundred critiques of it and then go to the back and think, oh, it's just no, they'd never written before, you know, like like in my mind, if it's published, it's published. We paid for this. You know, I bought this book. It's in here with other published works and authors who have been. So, yeah, that would just change my critical view, I think, which I didn't want to have happen. So that's where I ended up. I'm not sure if you read through those, but I did not, but I did know well, one of the writers is LeVar Burton. Yeah, um, and I actually didn't read the two novel excerpts, I'll be honest. Oh. I had burned out by then anyway, and it just yeah. felt like those, I, I'm sure, do you, feel, do you feel like the quality was better in both of those? Um, It's hard to tell okay. because the excerpts, they were spliced together. Right, right. right? So I didn't get a good sense of like the work itself like i the lavar burton yeah excerpt i definitely want to read that novel uh because there were some interesting points that yeah obviously like there's a whole rich story behind it because the end of that excerpt is not the end of the story obviously like it's it just like cuts off there when the two main characters meet and that's it um but it was i mean a lot of these works had cliches and some some things that i was just kind of like oh uh okay that's an interesting stylistic choice yeah but um despite that the lavar burton excerpt had uh, i think a really interesting premise and so i am actually going to look up that novel and and read it and also i just love lavar burton because not only do i love star trek but also I love reading Rainbow, and yeah, I love big reading Rainbow fan. Yeah, and I love that he's he's really into reading, and he promotes reading, especially for lower income areas and stuff like that. He's very yeah, much yeah. A, a proponent of that. He's so. he is about the work, and he yeah. and that's his most admirable quality. Is it is in most people who are about the work. You know, he's yeah. done it. <laughs> he didn't yeah. just he didn't just say reading's great, right? And he put a lot of creative effort into writing books and then promoting a show for kids. And yeah, no, yeah. these, you can't help but respect that in the, the most full throated way. The, yeah, yeah, I didn't, I just skipped the novel excerpts cause I just figured they would be of a different quality and because yeah. they weren't tailor made for it. I just, I mean, I'm sure the publisher gave them you know permission, whatever, but because they weren't specifically tailor made for this, I, yeah, at that point, to be honest, my interest had really waned, but I, I, so those are also at the end, but I read everything else, did finish everything else, which is good. Let's move into some questions. This is how we begin, kind of begin the book club. Um, we like to get into some analytical questions and try and bounce some ideas off of each other right away, see how we felt about parts of it. I'll start with a question. Which story, I don't know how to phrase this. The most obvious way is which one did you like the most, but I don't almost don't want to ask that. Instead, I kind of want to know which one do you think 
if handed to a, let's say, politically neutral person in 2020, like today, October 15th, we're recording this. If you handed them any of these, if you could hand them any of them, and just said, like, just think about this, you know? Yeah, here's, it's a story, you know? See what you, it's, it might entertain you, it might make you think, it might provoke you. Do you, which one would you give someone in that regard? And at the core of this question, that I'll, and then I'll stop explaining it finally, just like, which one do you think was the most implicit in any way? Or like, not in your face? Um, two come to mind, but the one that I, I favored um, is actually Kafka's Last Laugh, which okay. was okay. by Vagabond. Um, which, if, uh, if the if you guys don't remember, it's the one where she is uh, a protester who is arrested, tortured, arrested, and then her, while she's in the hospital recovering from the torture session, her lawyer makes a uh, a plea bargain where she has to yeah. actually, uh, it's, it's called like mall jail or something like that. Right, right. Um, yeah. And so there are some big ideas of like that we actually see with a uh, parable of the sower, which is like the idea of these big companies that essentially have like slave work, mm-hmm. right. Where it's, and um, how jails are, uh, or prison rather is uh, privatized, uh, which is a, a big problem. And, um, but what I found to be like the implicit thing is um it was deeply disturbing to me the interaction with the lawyer, her her lawyer who right, was assigned to right, her right. by the court. <clears throat> um, I found that really disturbing, and at first I was like, "There's no way that this is legal." And then I was like, "Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe you know, because she is like incapable of showing up to court and all this other stuff." And uh, it's there are several elements in the story that the author is attacking and trying to point out without actually saying, hey, this thing is the problem. There are actually several problems that he's trying to address. Yeah, and it, it is the one, I would agree that it's the one that maybe does the real world stuff explicitly, but is yeah. it just pulls off the gas pedal a little bit, like just enough so that even some of the jail stuff though is just like, I don't know. It think of two tropes that it that it relies on. The really cold like sinister in intaking jail worker who like mm-hmm. explicitly explains what's wrong with capitalism out loud to the person is like okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Like they even say that those words at some point that's capitalism and it's like okay, <laughs> fair. Uh yeah. Sure. And and it also relies on the notion of the overworked public defender who accepts plea deals at the drop of a hat because that's yeah. how the that's how the legal system works right now. And so mm-hmm. yeah, I but you're right. I think it does it in a kind of a subtle way. I was going to pick I'm tempted to pick the Detroit Monster one, but I don't know. There's paragraphs in there that ex- basically say gentrification is bad. And it's just like that's it's not subtle. It it could be effective, you know, it, it can mm-hmm. conveying some kind of empathy and like generating that feeling. But at some point the person's going to read the paragraph. that's like, Oh no, the gentrification is bad. Don't you get it? And they're going to either bounce off that or they're not, you know, I was thinking manhunters, but the thing about manhunters is, is that it's so futuristic fantasy ish, like all, just way out there that right. it could also just be read as like a fantastical, whatever work. 
I just thought the references they made in that story to the city, the subdivision, it's really underexplored, which, mm-hmm. you know, you could take or leave. I I just thought it was maybe in that way the most subtle that people kind of have to piece together like what these people even do and what their role is and their job and who are these elders. And I just assumed all the elders would be women, but then there's men and they don't really ever address right. that. And so there there's just enough underexplained there, which could just be really frustrating to read for someone. But it's also the thing that makes it appeal to me maybe in that way of somebody might just get intrigued by this in general and start to connect yeah. their own conclusions instead of at the end of a story, somebody saying, well, at least the gentrification didn't happen because that's bad, right? You agree it's bad? Okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. You know? Uh, and so anyway, I was thinking yeah. maybe that one. I liked that one too. I But the ending, I was just kind of like, uh, I, I can't, I, I did not enjoy the ending because it was an incomplete ending especially considering how little we know of the world itself like what yeah. is the significance oh, yeah. of that ending i don't know um, yeah just which that, is also just that like she's gonna be Kafta's... yeah just that they're gonna be made to get along you know it's like right. reduced, yeah, but yeah. how <laughs> yeah. yeah they just have um, to live together but whatever that means in their commune or you know right yeah. and we don't know what that means so we don't know the significance yeah. of that move um yeah. which is why i liked um Kafka's last laugh is because even though it's like an open-ended ending, we have enough sense of um, the world in which this person is. Uh, what's her name? Um, Resistor, right? Yeah. The character's yeah. name is Resistor. Uh, Resistor's current world that we 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 understand what's going to happen and we understand uh, the significance of the ending for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is also why my other choice actually would be um, Homing Instinct. Um, okay. Which I felt like was a complete story and was, um, it's about uh, the idea of like, we've used up our natural resources so much. And, and but the issue is like, how much authority does the government have over us, even if it's for the good of the world? right to yeah. completely limit yeah. travel what authority do they have for that and what issues create i, I thought that that I, was a really nice i forgot story about that too. one actually that might be the best answer yeah now that I, I just had to reopen that one again to get a yes no the one with the basically global warming based right t- topic mm-hmm. yeah right no that one that one might be up there too actually because there's I've actually read a couple novels that kind of dabble in like potential global warming catastrophe stuff and i'm mm-hmm. i guess you know well, do you want to throw a question out there too? Because we skipped the fill in the blank. I just realized that, and I do want to get to it because I think it actually came up with a good one this time. <laughs> but oh, <laughs> do you have another question that you want to throw out there? Though we can keep doing the questions. We can we can go out of order. We're off the we're off the train tracks here. You know, we can do what we want. Sure. Uh, let's see here. So I'll ask my first question. So this mm-hmm. anthology, this collection included a transcript of a lecture. There's an essay. There's two excerpts that you didn't read. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they're in there. From two novels. Um, and then there are also uh, the actual short stories. So what I was expecting was, because it says science fiction stories from social justice movements on the cover, I was expecting it to just be the short stories. So I was wondering if you felt like including these nonfiction pieces as well as the uh, pieces from longer works, did it actually add anything to your experience with the collection or do you think that it kind of detracted from what you were expecting or what you were reading? I could have done with all the nonfiction up front as a little bit of, 
I almost feel like this is a collection that needs pre-reading. It's almost like it comes. It should come with a syllabus. And in some ways that, again, in my mind for fiction are, do, did not work, it kind of is a syllabus, in, almost, in a way. You could come away from these thinking, wow, these 10 stories said these 10 terms explicitly to me five times. I should probably go know what those terms are and how they relate to our current world. Like it... And so I guess I could have used the nonfiction up front. I think it was good framing. I enjoyed I enjoyed the intro, the outro, and the and the essay or the um, speech was it or lecture? Yeah, I, the lecture. I think I enjoyed those all the most just because I enjoy getting my political talk and like current policy objective talk in the most direct way, which is in nonfiction. And so I yeah, just I like reading I like reading about those ideas in a nonfiction manner because it helps me grapple with those ideas in the most clear way that I can think of. And so yeah, I thought they were okay additions. I they felt a bit odd. I again would have probably put them up front. I I like the variety and style, though I think a couple of these stories can be just lumped together as kind of fast action sci-fi or fantasy that pretty quick hitting kind of simple simple writing kind of stuff um i think the detroit story struck me as almost going for a kind of poe like weird poe cormac mccarthy vibe of trying to be a little more brutal and sinister but it really pulled up on that i I thought it just could have done a little more with that like viciousness or something really making it feel like more of a horror more of a dread kind of a terror it just never really got there it the conflicts just kind of felt limp to me in that story they were okay it was pretty good but didn't have quite the punch um i think i've lost the plot in your question but that yeah i think in terms of favorites i i like the nonfiction, but that's just my bias in terms of this type of social like social topics political topics sociology whatever i just will always prefer that stuff in a you know well-researched non-fiction format yeah i um I also appreciated the nonfiction pieces. And I think that, yeah, you're right. It, it could have, um, it, organizationally speaking, putting them at the front, I think, would have been a nice kind of intro and ease into the short stories, especially since um, the lecture is about Octavia Butler, which this entire collection is named for. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that would have been nice at the beginning. I also really enjoyed the nonfiction, reading the nonfiction pieces. I think partly because the style these uh three women who um wrote these three nonfiction pieces i'm leaving out the star wars one um sure 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 <laughs> which is like that. a page long <laughs> to be fair yeah. two pages you know it's it is quite brief yeah um but uh these women their style of writing it's it's really put together and on point because yeah. Uh, yeah. these three women are actually writers um so stylistically i felt like they were superior to a lot of the short stories um and so i i really enjoyed reading those pieces as well yeah and they interweave some important concepts that kind of can set up how you interpret some of the works too which is the great goal of any great nonfiction or at least kind of that analytical side for, for literature. So I think, mm-hmm. yeah, they introduce and we some interesting ideas and really effectively too. It's just given the bulk of it, those felt like not cast asides, but it just felt, I don't know. By the time I got to the very ending ones, I just felt like I was already burned out, had burned out on the stories and my enjoyment had kind of, kind of waned. And so, yeah, I, I appreciated them. I could have used them right away. Maybe it would have, I don't know, pump me up a little bit or, you know, been a bit of a shoulder tap, like of encouragement to 
get into these or something, but I feel like I took all the stories very seriously anyway. I didn't need the motivation, but it would have helped maybe. I think my other questions, one of them I put down is a totally sarcastic question, which we can skip. (laughs) No, I love it though. I love it. (laughs) Ah, that story. That story. I'm going to read a quote from it later, so we'll get into it. But, and the the other question I feel like we kind of have implicitly answered, but I guess we should do so out loud. Did any of the writer styles or tones jump out to you? And let's just stick to the fiction. Because I agree, the nonfiction was very well written, but... Was there anyone that had a voice that you came away thinking, I appreciated, you know, X, Y, Z about their style? Um, I would say that I really liked, um, this is tough, but I, I would say that I, I really enjoyed um, the homing instinct, um, that okay. particular style of writing, uh, just because the... The character development was on point to where we can understand in such a short piece. That's too, true. It was like a short, short Best story. character work. Yeah. Good character work and also the subtlety and also you, the world building was just enough. It wasn't like overly done. There wasn't a whole bunch of exposition even. Um, no, it was no. just like, yeah, the, the, the exposition part was uh, them watching a, a broadcast of, the president giving a speech or yeah, doing command. a press conference, right? Yeah. Right. And that was the world building, was that actual right. um, scene. And so you get an idea of what's happening without the author actually saying, this is what the world is like right now, right. which was nice right. because some of these other stories, it's like, they just straight up are like, yeah, this is the world <laughs> as it is right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think stylistically, I appreciated that story uh the most yeah out of all the others i think it too many rhetorical questions for me at times but mm. but i enjoyed it i did think that one i i agree with the character work and i the, the thing is there's a there was a certain like homogeneity of the style it 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 all had a certain flatness and such a the exposition dumps felt so desperately kind of like heavy to like really point out things to you in such an explicit way that it all kind of melted together. That's why I wanted to ask that question. The only ones that I can think of that kind of rose above that was the Detroit one, which still did that, but it had enough eeriness in it that it had this, it evoked a mood that I don't know if any of the other ones achieved. Mm -hmm. And then the honest answer would be the Lolly Bela story was just utter madness to me so that and that was the one i was laughing about earlier that i'm not gonna ask a question about but it it truly did stand out because because of its pacing and the just again i felt sheer madness of the structure of it and and some of the paragraph jumps in that story are just absolutely unmoored from any storytelling i enjoy and so i guess that one will stick with me unfortunately maybe unfortunately um, yeah. I'm I'm afraid to ask, and I don't want to make this episode just you know unnecessarily rude critique after unnecessarily rude critique. So I'm I'm almost tempted to ask which one was your least favorite, but let's not. We can save that for the quotes. We'll I'm sure we'll talk through stuff like that. I'm yeah. I feel like I'm good on questions. I do want to get back to the fill in the blank. Do you have any other questions you have that you want to throw out there? Um, I just have one other one because we talked about my third one actually already when we were talking about Butler's Parable. Yeah. So, or, yeah. Um, but I, I do. So the the main purpose, uh, according to um, the 
uh, editors of this collection. The main purpose is mm-hmm. to kind of like uh, spark a social change uh, through conversations, through these right, stories. Right. And they even um, say that these stories are uh, what's called visionary fiction, right? And so they uh, they describe what visionary fiction is, which is specifically, uh, I'll, I'll just read the quote from um, Marisha, a more purposeful form of science fiction writing that has relevance toward building new, freer worlds from the mainstream strain of science fiction mm-hmm. and encompasses all of the fantastic with the arc always bending toward justice. And then Brown uh, goes on to add that its purpose is social change and societal transformation. Right. So writing that is specifically meant to uh, improve the world, right, socially in some way. So... Do you feel like each of these pieces are are geared towards that, but do you think that it actually accomplishes what they have set out to do as far as like this visionary fiction? Does it complete its purpose in order to create that conversation, but also to push for social change and transformation? So I think this is, this is just going to get deeply into my own beliefs and philosophies about storytelling, fiction, whatever. The answer to me is definitively no, strongly no. The times in my life when I've been convinced or compelled to change a political social belief have just never come from fiction, at least not directly. Like I know I've read the research about if you grew up reading Harry Potter, you align more with this belief than that one. You know, you're like more inclined to be welcoming of the muggles or what, you know, like they can, you can kind of track morality in in that sense to like some reading tendencies in life, but I don't go to fiction for my voting platform and I don't go to fiction to know how certain policy objectives could impact the real world. I just don't. I want the issues to be about something broader. It, you know, if I want to be pretentious, I could say something more universal, maybe something deeper, maybe something more innately human than, I mean, there's nothing more innately human than some of the strife of the last, of the so, recent social movements and some that have been ongoing for hundreds of years now. Not, not that none of that isn't human, but if I finish your short story and I think I know a bill you want me to vote on because I just read that right now, then I don't, then I don't think I read a story. I think I read right. a propagandist work and granted, and that was when we were texting early on or when I was texting you, the funny thing is like, I'm buying in on all this. Like I, I'm the one who would vote yes to all of these issues or however you want to put it. <laughs> but I, I don't know why this is, but I can divorce that in my mind, which you know, some people say may say that's a lie or that it's white privilege, that the, both of those points are taken. I, I can't say they're wrong, but whatever it is, my brain does that. And it splits the fi- works of fiction from non-fictional, real political social movement. And I want those things compartmentalized and I want them fed to me separately, please. Like, I'll go read my Marx and my Terry Eagles essays about Marx and like, it'll make me think things. And then I'll come back later and I'll read some fiction and that will make me think other things or, you know, even overlapping things. I think probably the best point of comparison here would be the novel we just did in this series, Sing Unburied Sing. Mm. Like, do you think coming out of that novel, 
How many thoughts coming out of that novel would you say you have about um, America's drug heroin epidemic? Would you say you had many thoughts or very few thoughts? After reading that? Yeah. I, I definitely have more thoughts about that than before. Right. But if I said to you, do you know how to go vote about it now? Would you say you have like a policy platform about the drug epidemic now? Uh, not really. And that I think that's crucial. Like I had tons of thoughts about the representation of drug abuse in that story, the way it intermingles in the characters' lives and bends and twists their lives and demands things of them. Certain the way certain symbols were played up, that lawyer haunting figure who's pretty subtle but is like this weird figure who appears. And anyway, I just bring up the extended comparison only to say that I think, and granted, I, those were leading questions, but like I think for me, the questions would have been how you answered, which is I had so many thoughts about it. And I think I had a general skew. Like, I don't think you could read that right. and think, the drug epidemic's no big deal. We got this. Like, yeah, of yeah. course, it, it, it's not, there's not an infinite spectrum of interpretation for me anyway. But so I, I don't come out of it thinking all that, but I at least come out of it thinking many complex things, none of which lead me to go, oh, I know what to say to my, if I called my representative right now, having read this, I could just ask them some stuff about current issues and policy, social issues. And I, I yeah, I just, and that's what I loved about it. It gives me things to unpack in a more slow, deeper way. Whereas I think coming out of some of these, like it, the gentrification one's so obvious. Like you could just go be like, "Hey, can we, you know, look at some zoning laws and like what's public housing like now? And like who's right. who has the, you know, like what's the going on with real estate rezoning and public? Like it was just so in the the or the one I think it was called the first black superhero, the last black superhero. Yeah, uh, that one was called. There's a couple the token superhero. token superhero. Uh, There's a couple paragraphs at the end of it that basically say why representation in fiction matters in a story about representation in fiction that is a work of fiction <laughs> representing. So, so it's like at the end of it, you're just handed the card of here's, here's what this meant, by the way. And we right. have railed against that so aggressively in the book reviews and in other places that I just couldn't walk away from this feeling satisfied in that, in that fiction part of my brain. And that was you know quite a long answer, but hopefully I did get to the question that you originally asked. I just, these things just feel like they should be in some way separated from, for me. And they just weren't here. I agree. I think that it's good to have a purpose in writing, right? Of course you're going to have a purpose. Like why else are yeah. you writing? Yeah. But with the way that these stories are written, because it is so purposeful um, and, and they have an explicit thing that they all agreed that they would, uh, talk about they are coming off as kind of preachy in a lot of ways and there is no stylistic development to make us care unless we already care yes anyway yeah if i were to give this collection to somebody who did not believe in these things this would not change their minds because they're going to be like, you're just handing me a, a piece of propaganda. Why would I believe any of this? Yeah. I don't, I don't like Anne Rand either. Like Anne Rand, yeah. <laughs> I don't believe with any, I don't believe in any of her. God, what is her philosophy school called? I don't even remember. Objectivism, objectivism. I don't believe in any of it. I've read her philosophy. You read like a page of her fiction and you're like, holy shit, this lady is putting it on. 
Like, there's a character that has a 40-page speech. Like, there, yeah, her her fiction is awful. It is awful. Like, it's so bad. If and so there I, again, even with that, there's such a divide to me where I'm like. Her fiction isn't bad because objectivism is bad. Objectivism is bad because it is bad. Like, you can read right. the, you know, like, that would be my basic argument. There's my syllogism or whatever. Like, that's that's the claim I'm making. Her fiction is bad because it's redundant, preachy, and utterly, like, just self-flagellating uh, or something. Like, it's utterly self-congratulatory uh, and, and without edits, you know? It's without subtlety or stylistic merit. It's just brutal repetition and, and brutal kind of heavy handedness. And it just, it's yeah. just bad fiction. I don't know what, you know, it's like, if you think Atlas Shrugged is the best thing ever written, you're just wrong. It's just an absurd <laughs> thing that exists. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, maybe again, I have a deeper history underexplored here as to why my brain attacks these things in such different ways. But because I think, I don't know. There's some political, expressly political fiction that I love and that has shaped my life. I think most dystopian fiction is very political, and I really like dystopian fiction, right? I mean, I think you probably do, too. I do, but at the same time, the reason that we like those stories is because they take the time for us to care about some kind of character. It's not just thrown in our face, right? It's taking the time to develop the world and to develop these people so that we are invested in that in them and in the situation that they're in whereas these short stories because it's more of like fables almost or like fairy tales yeah it's just hey this is my point this is it i don't care if you care about this person it's a good point like it's just the underdevelopment of character and conflict i think those two things in these just felt really egregious to me and granted Those are the simple middle school terms for it, but I think it doesn't need to be stated in a more complex way than that, frankly. Th- those two things right. just lack in the in most of these stories, if not not all of them. Uh, that would be, I don't remember all of them well enough to say that, but but I would say most, like over half, I, I feel very comfortable saying lacked in that department enough to make me believe in this, yeah, believe in that subtlety test or check that I'm going to hand this to a person I know disagrees or is a stranger to me. I feel confident this will sway them. Like, you know what would do that? Maybe Black Panther. Like, we we have a good touchstone of a recent massive cultural event that was also Afrofuturism, which is also pretty locked in with a lot of these same social movements and and topics he explicitly at the end flies to oakland to like donate a school or a community center or something like that's not implicit like subtlety stuff that is like we're he's doing it so right and i think when you look at that story it's and i don't think we have to humanize all the villains but like the michael b jordan character the extremist political figure politician in that story the radical guy the the revolutionary gets a lot of sympathy he does horrible things and then all of a sudden he's got good points to it it just has that back and forth that has real push pull that feel like the stakes aren't completely fabricated to just serve something else it feels like there's yeah genuine struggle genuine conflict between things that are that compete in a sincere way. And there's like mm-hmm. sincere idea, not even ideological competition, but just character conflict. 
that uh, that can help drive that home. So the conflict, you know, when it resolves, it feels earned and it feels like that Oakland trip isn't hokey and like being forced at you feel like he understands now why he needs to leave, you know, Wakanda. I know I just did a plot summary of a different story, but I just think there are examples thankfully more than before you know this is a new right. wave of fiction that is getting popular and getting mainstream attention but yeah and it's it's not some perfect film or perfect story but gosh compared to even that some of these would just not stand up and you know yeah. the massively different scope in terms of budget and you know the storytelling involved and yeah like maybe it's a false analogy i guess is what i'm saying but i just feel like there are examples of how to do those things and and blend them that it can be done it with real artistic flair i I could say which feels crazy to say about a marvel movie but i feel like it did have some of that and so i these just didn't didn't do it for me in the same way let's quickly do the fill in the blank because i do want to get this out there which we should have began with, but hey, we're 45 minutes in. It's two. We're, we're in it now. This is segment two. <laughs> this is not going to be the half an hour book club I had dreamt. Ah, oh, man, maybe I'm being too preachy now. Who knows? Well, we're going to keep it rolling. We'll keep, the, we'll keep the mics on and see what happens. Let's jump to the fill in the blanks, though. And this is the one I came up with. And it's if you were head of a publishing company, book publishing company, and you were told that you had to option one of the short stories in here, to be expanded into a novel and it has to keep the same core you know theme gist voice character stuff roughly speaking you're not just paying for the author you're paying for the idea and then blowing it up uh which one would you choose and why uh so i would i actually wanted to see more of this short story small and bright okay okay yeah and it's actually one of my quotes um that I chose. So the reason that I would choose that one is because the, the premise of the world was the most interesting to me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I'll give you um, my quote real quick because it is about the premise. (laughs) And it says, I gently touch my belly. uh, The, is it lichen? Lichen? Yeah. Lichen is fine. Lichen. Okay. The lichen growing outward from my cord cut, usually groomed to find detail, is now wild, wet, and fecund, reaching up to my ribs and down to my vulval hair. For the first time in my adult life, I can truly value the belly lichen, mm-hmm. right, for its original purpose, a survival strategy in the early days of our community. Like, that's towards the beginning of the short story and i was like that's really interesting how did that happen like what's going on in this world so i was really really interested and then at the end of that story too uh there's the the observation right somebody's watching her come out of the caves uh, underground and he's obviously from a uh a more technologically advanced society uh, commenting on this person and he, he doesn't even call her a person. He calls it her like a, a thing, right? Yeah. Or something like yeah. that. Um, so I was like, that's, that's really interesting to me. I, I wonder how these societies like evolved so differently. Like what happened that they were confined below. And like, it was just a really, I don't know. I just found that fascinating. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's a good answer. I have two answers to the blank. The more, publishers want to make some money account executive answer to this i think is the manhunters just because 
I feel like it it's checking boxes of popular current dystopian fiction, you know, like a separate group that you're chosen into, a special person with talents who like has to work hard at something. It's got that violent edge. It seems like they're assassins, like that they're raising assassins or or something right. like that maybe. I don't know, I couldn't really tell. But it has that like separate community. It also references kind of a dystopian city with a two-tier class system, you know, the, and it's like her mother dies. There's like forced labor or, you know, some subtle thing going on like that. Like you can either work or not and you're just going to if you work you'll just die. I thought that right. would be the kind of option this into a movie maybe kind of answer. To me though, I didn't I don't think the story worked for me that well, but the runway blackout, the fashion world with people who can kind of mutate suddenly. There's like a sudden influx of mutations. Again, I thought the backstory stuff was just so ham-fisted. Like there's a paragraph that's like, well, people got interracial and now people mutate because that's what interracial love does, you know? And like, so it was a quick, I don't think it had the space or time to build itself and like really think that through or whatever. But I just felt like, I don't know. I always think the fashion world is a prime for critique and has like such a weird decadence and, you know, like cases of just extremities, drug abuse and just like, I don't know. There's just all kinds of, it seems like high level abuses that happen. So I think you could really blend that into kind of a twisted tale. It reminds me of like, did you ever read the novel Less Than Zero? No, it's a it's a novel about a kid who moves to L.A. in the 80s and falls in with kind of a fashionable society. But like they just do coke a lot and like cause crime and like do trouble and they're super rich and they so they don't have much responsibility, but they just do a lot of drugs. And it's just about how his life basically just degenerates. And he fought when he falls in with this crew. I, I, I think Brett Easton Ellis, who wrote it, is an incredibly problematic figure. I think he's like some kind of. I don't know, right wing nut job now or something like that. I don't really keep up with him. But I remember reading that novel and found it quite striking. Again, it was just kind of really depraved and decadent, I think would be the description I'll steal. At any rate, I thought something taking that story and kind of twisting it in that way, if we could just amp up, if I could amp up the tone and kind of the intensity of it a little, like again, there were just paragraphs in there that felt limp to me. And so, but I felt like the idea was, was kind of, right on it hits that just subtle enough to make it work not quite on the nose enough to like put people off it it almost hit that get out sweet spot you know though frankly get out was on the line for me too did you ever watch get out no oh okay you should it was i thought it was a pretty good movie but it it was also at the point where i think maybe that movie is the prime example of doing this kind of messaging in a mainstream approachable and also it's just well executed it's just a very tightly made movie no no waste in that movie uh, but there were lines in that movie, too, though, in moments where I just thought, like, okay, like, yeah, th- this is getting to the explicit point of, like, hand me the pamphlet now, please, like, walk me to the voting booth kind of vibe, um, mm-hmm. you know, for better and worse. But anyway, it, I think this story could kind of morph into something like that. I did enjoy that story as well, um, because I enjoyed, like, the premise of the story. I think that the writing was not necessarily yeah. to my yeah, style. It was bland. There were some, yeah. There were some, especially with um, the 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 use of the word "you." Like I always, when I see that, it just kind of makes me cringe um, in stories, unless it's like really well done. But yeah, um, otherwise, like I, I think that the premise was interesting, and I thought that the ending for that—not the ending, ending—but the end of the conflict for that was um, an interesting. Yeah, and I think if you paired them up over a novel length and had her be the kind of understudy vibe of just like, 
and she slowly sees this person of great repute and fame and success like deteriorating and have this like inner life and i yeah i don't know i just i think for a novel that would actually kind of work and but yeah. I would, my editing on that, my recommendations would be, you got to make this kind of like way more depraved and like really into, you got to crank the intensity up. I, at least in my view, it was, there were so many, again, I don't know. Maybe it's because fashion deals with like, there's a sex element and drugs element to it that just feels like it can get really just like human nasty, like just human grunge to it that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just my own, you know, hang ups about the fashion world. I'm not very fashionable, so it's maybe that's on me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move into quotes. I almost admire that we've done so much of this without getting to the syntax celebration, but I will also say <laughs> I think the balance of this pod is fitting because this really won't be a syntax celebration for me. I did pull a couple quotes but I mostly want to use them to illuminate the things I struggled with it and struggled to enjoy in this collection. So mine are not celebrations, basically, is what I'm hinting at. Yeah. So I don't want to spend too much time on them, but I do feel like it is part of these book club deep dives for people who have either, you know, b- bothered to listen in, thanks as always, or have actually read this. I'll at least try and illustrate, because I've said so much but haven't given many quotes. So let's try and give some quotes to clarify the comments I've made, and you can too. Um, I'll start with this one. This is from the Token Superhero story. It's at the bottom of 19. It's when he meets the kids on the train. Um, He asked them, you made your own Black Fist t-shirts? Alonzo asked, why? And then the kids launch into an explanation, and these are what the kids say. He does what he does because he can do it, said one of the boys. It ain't all about the business with him. He just made me feel good about myself because, you know, he's black and all, said the other girl. I just wish he hadn't retired, said the first girl. In that moment, it struck Alonzo Ramey that being a superhero meant more than endorsement deals, your own comic book series, and whatever fame and fortune might come your way for fighting the good fight. He had gone through years of training, but on countless missions to save hundreds of lives, but it was that moment on the subway that he understood what it was all about. Yes, he'd been a black or a token black superhero in a world made up mostly of white heroes. Yes, his name was ridiculous, but it wasn't those kids. But it wasn't the way the kids on the subway saw him. To them, he was simply a superhero they admired enough to make their own T-shirts emblazoned with his image, and that was enough to make him rethink everything. Quite a resolution to his inner turmoil there, uh, explicitly told to us. A kid literally gives me the exact line for line of why representation matters, and then he echoes it in his reflection. I don't, like, that's from an essay. That's just not from a story. It, the way that wraps up, the tidiness of it, the, the clean messaging of it, that's just not how a story wraps up to, to me. That's not how fiction should feel to me when I read it. And so, right. you know... Do I think there should be more black superheroes? Unequivocally, there should be more black superhero short stories even. That might have been one of the only ones of those I've ever read. Other than like, I read the the Coates Black Panther run, but that's a, you know, that's a comic and Black Panther's like super famous. But anyway, yeah, that, I don't know. That's the writing though. That's the style of many of these to me. It's just usually at the end and they're just going to make sure you know before you exit. Yeah, this particular story as well really suffered from the, uh, the the telling versus the showing where yeah. throughout the entire story it's we get a, a list of things that he's done but and he explicitly states how he's feeling but we don't actually get to see his interactions with anyone i mean even in that last scene it's there's no emotional like reaction necessarily except for when he restates what 
the kid said to him and, and he has this epiphany, but we don't see emotionally what's happening. Right. And then even like there's fight scenes and stuff like that, but it's not even like a description of the fight scenes. It's just like, yep, he did this and he did this and let's move on to the next point. There's no actual description in, in this short story. And, and it happens actually in several of these short stories where it's just a list of, it was like reading Sinbad the Sailor, right? Where we have like action, 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 and then no description of what's actually happening yeah. at that time. Yeah, I think this is partly why, well, it's good that we, and we talked about this before, we texted a little, but it's partly why I hesitated because I wanted to say the exact same feedback you said, but it's why I didn't check their bios because giving this note to a writer of any even an amateur aspiring writer is just insane to me, but it's so much tell and no show. I think it's the right note. It's the note I give to middle and high school level writers that struggle with this creative. I mean, I'm in the thick of college essays. Like I've been seeing this a million times, but yeah, so many of these stories just, they, they'll just tell you, just tell you. I mean, they'll make it clear for you and there's just no subtle showing. There's no implicit kind of buy-in through the character work, through the conflict work, whatever, setting, etc. So, yeah, I think that's the right feedback, too. Any quotes that you want to celebrate or, you know, critique, whatever? Uh, yes. So, uh, I chose one quote from uh, Kafka's Last Laugh, which I had mentioned before yeah. as being the one that I thought was the best as far as subtlety. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this is from page 180, and it's the scene where she is... Uh, where Resistor is talking to her court-mandated lawyer. Um, And he says, I pleaded you down to a mandatory three-year sentence for aggravated organized protest, seeing as you were charged with 680 counts of seditious conspiracy to overthrow legitimate business interests, and no one who has ever been charged with even just one has ever beat it. So I chose this because this was the, the scene in particular that, like, made me think, there's no way this is legal, but I mean, there are always ways like loopholes, people get arrested and charged with things because of incompetencies and stuff like that. So this was the worrisome scene to me in this yeah, uh, short yeah. story that made me think, oh, I want to believe that this isn't possible, but <laughs> it might be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it also without like explicitly stating that capitalism is the issue, which the prison guard does later like call out capitalism. But in this particular scene, it, you can understand that it is capitalism is the issue that um, Vagabond is trying to um, really tackle. Although he, he does want to tackle other issues in this story where you see it's is aggravated organized protest so you are being arrested yeah. for an organized protest when well, they have their own zones now, you know right, like yeah. yeah so but it's aggravated which i thought was an interesting like almost like made my head explode like but 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 yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then <laughs> and then the seditious conspiracy to overthrow legitimate business interests so it's it's a statement that organizations businesses are more important than an individual's right to protest and an individual's right to state that they are unhappy with what their government is doing so i thought that was really well put without actually stating it in that way yeah yeah i think probably you again plucked i think from the right story that's 
I, the Patriot Act six thing again felt like okay to me. I don't know. That's such an odd one because in other stories I would bristle at how the density of the verbiage. Like they're just making up a hundred words in a short story. Like man, you got to pick one thing in a short story and like don't get away from it. You can't just. Yeah. Y- you don't have the length of a novel to get me into. Like you you got to be a little slower in unveiling your ten sci-fi words to me. You know, it's almost like yeah. you just pick one <laughs> and try that and first like you know. Anyway, but no, I think that one, it, the Patriot Act kind of in joke and almost in a way works in that regard, because if they would have named it something else, it wouldn't, the subtlety would have been almost non-existent. So instead they just went brute force, said there's six right. Patriot Acts now, get it? Remember the Patriot Act? How bad that is? <laughs> there's six yep. of them now. Imagine how much worse yep. that is. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep. um, yeah, I think it's better than the other, than the alternative, I guess. The why not yeah. call it the McConnell Act or something, you know, there, there's probably ways you could have done it, but whatever. So, I do. I am going to pull one quote from uh, Lali Mela, or La, sorry, Lali Bela. Sorry, I pronounced that right. Who boy, I I admitted I stifled a laugh when I I really don't I really don't want to be that person, but I did stifle a laugh when I read part of this um, in my head just now. I was I was trying to find the right quote. Again, this um, is from a story about a time traveling farmer king who. Mm -hmm. is trying to, like, save his civilization in a way. This is a description of his village in Ethiopia. Everything in the villages was shared, from food and other resources to labor. If just one person yielded a good crop, no one went hungry. The idea of just having a single occupation was foreign. A farmer with the science lab in a gojo, who also happened to be an expert karar player, was a very common thing. Everyone sang and played music. The simple but rare combination of people following their passions, innovating and learning from the arts, science, and nature, fed into an isolated Ethiopian renaissance, completely self-sustained. And that's during the Crusades. Okay, nice little utopian vision. It's heavy-handed, but okay, you have your utopia. Here comes the banger. On page 128. Every technological leap during this period started in a small village or on a farm. Okay, again, nice utopia. Kibra worked with a group of craftspeople, masons, and beekeepers to develop the first computer. She taught them a system of complex multiplication that she was able to do in her head, which became the foundation of the coding system their computers were based on. She worked with Lalibela to assemble materials based on beehives. Soon what they created was able to function as a calculator, predict weather, and replicate itself. So... That's how that story develops. And then it jumps 3,000 <laughs> years in the future because the bees help them make time machines also. Yep. I can okay. say firmly, my critique of this story in a summary form stands as this. I finished that story and I, for maybe the first time, felt like I understood the perspective of people who are like, science fiction is childish garbage that is like making shit up and is stupid for making like just deal with the real world won't you please like why do you have to make stuff up the real world is complex enough like you're doing a child's job and it's too fantastical and silly that's a rough translation of what my mom would say though she would never say it in those words ever she'd be way more generous and kind and thoughtful but (laughs) i finished that and just thought what what is happening like I like inventive fiction. I love fantasy, world, sci-fi, whatever. But the jumps in that story were just so preposterous that 
it really like shook me when I finished it. I was like, I don't think I'm, I almost didn't read anything else in the whole collection. I would just almost put the whole thing down and was like, this is truly absurdist stuff, like to a level that I didn't even know if it was satire. Honestly, I got to the part where they meet the dragons that were, had be, yeah. that were former humans that evolution yeah. turns us into dragons in the dystopia and the dragons yeah. just literally their dialogue is to explain the whole story. It, yep. it is. I will pull that quote now. I think I have to. You have to. I the dragon's so. nostrils flared on 131. Yes, time travelers always say they understand. Your ego is a problem. As a species, the stories you left tell of division and hierarchy. You constantly fought wars with each other while exploiting resources you knew would make the planet inhospitable for generations to come. You must act on what you say you understand if you wish to travel back to this time and see what your people could have done. The atmosphere isn't safe for you now. It is clear to us that something went horribly wrong for you in the 21st century. What what communist anarchist <laughs> propaganda poster is that from? That is just pulled... That's like 101 propaganda pamphlet with a hammer and sickle on it and frankly so was the little utopia he devised at the beginning but whatever that was fine it was you know relatively charming it also wasn't a human proto dragon thing that he just time traveled with bee technology to find yeah because the dragon scene i was like what yeah even is the is there some kind of symbolic meaning to this like as far as like choosing dragons is it because they're extinct and we consider them magical beasts of i, I was like what? i don't know if if <laughs> dragons have a put i will say this how about this generous throw up to the academics if dragons have some cultural history of significance in ethiopia i have zero i will claim complete ignorance it could be a, an illusion that went a hundred miles over my head. I'm not aware of one. I'm not aware of a, you know, of a history tradition of dragons being important representations in literature or mythology. I mean, obviously I know of some of them in Eastern traditions and also in the Beowulf and wait, is it dragon and Beowulf? I think it is at the end. I'm pretty sure uh, it's a kind yes. of, and then like, you know, Tolkien yeah. capitalized on that when he, re anyway, but and so Europe gets a little of that Scandinavia has the world serpent all that stuff. So, but yeah, so maybe. But given given the other jumps in that story, is that what you believe? And and if so, let's say again, let's say that interpretation's right and that it's like a deep mythological illusion we don't get. P please help me a little then. I mean, I could use some kind of what I don't need is a sentence of him explaining capitalist technological or uh, resource waste in the 21st i don't need him 3000 years from now just having this thought about the 21st century ready to go, just ready to rip like 3000 years of evolution humans devolve into dragons and they're just sitting around being like man that 21st century what the fuck happened there <laughs> fuck yeah, know, like right? remember capitalism god damn man what happened <laughs> like why are they speaking english <laughs> i don't <laughs> oh man, I feel, and again, not only did I feel when I read that story, how I feel like the worst bad faith cr critics of kind of fantastical fiction of any kind, visionary, whatever you want to call it. I felt like I was in that bad faith camp of just like, man, I, why am I doing this? What, what is, what am I doing? But also, yeah, it made me, it turned me into the critic of that kind of fiction too, that I hate 
which is the the critic who can't get over the literal and like start reading into some stuff you know like read read a little deeper man it's not about plot points all the time like it's just not and, and if you're reading it to just get from a to b you're not enjoying the, the literature of it frankly right but right. this turns me into that a little because I look at it and go, I do have the question about why the dragons speak English. Like, that bothers me. Why is this happening? <laughs> How come they can talk to each other? Like, what? what? The bees? Like, there's just a sentence that says her multiplication was so amazing. What? Is, how can multiplication be amazing? What does that even mean? <laughs> how can like multiplication is just a simple fact of math like what do you and then all of a sudden it helps them invent supercomputers in the year 1500 out of bees and and masons you know yeah. oh man well i'm glad i let it out I'm, and i appreciate of all things <laughs> your generosity and grace in letting me quote and talk about that because that one really that was the one i texted you at and i was like it I just have to, I'm going to say it because I, again, whatever. I feel like this is all in good faith. I've been quoting it. We've been digging in. It may be the worst short story I've ever read that was published in a book I bought. How about that? Because I read a lot of go. stuff trying to teach middle schoolers in like how to read and like trying to find like that. But to me, that's all in a different league of sorts. We can right. assume this was written for a professional publication that you can buy for real money in league with other writers in a compilation with professional writing, all that stuff. I think it is the worst short story I've ever read. I think that I guess is my judgment. I gave my, my more subtle critique before, but I guess it's where I want to leave it. Please say anything about this story. I I think that you covered it really well. I just, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of elements. I, I enjoy fantastical elements. I enjoy sci-fi, but this, I did feel like just, I had so many questions like I why and what and <laughs> but yeah I think I, I agree with it, you. It's, it's it in that worst good. way and I did I this adjective was not without purpose it feels like a child's imagination but here's the thing things that are childish aren't just endearing and sweet like if you actually want them to be put down they are stupid and nonsensical and they are hard to understand and like grapple with it's not char it's charming when a kid says it because kids are charming and they're just learning and so if a kid came up to me and was like and then there were dragons and then they're and they rambled on their 10 minute thing and they made up this world i'd be like damn that's pretty impressive you go living your head that sounds fun like cool that's mm. sounds wild but i just could not believe that that story was in there i it really I don't know. It really hit me hard because I was trying to keep my mind open, trying to keep my political self and get engaged and like trying to <laughs> trying to be generous uh, as a reader. But that one really, I think, really broke me. I think that was the point where I the rest of the collection, I think, suffered from my relative interest or lack of interest, uh, frankly. But, you know, I, we did get to the one that you've been mentioning, the global warming one with the. Yeah. Any other quotes? Surely we can end on a different quote. I'm done with this. I'm good. I, I've pulled only a couple quotes, choice quotes. I'll, I'll leave it up to the listeners to dig around for others and, and think through all the claims I've made. But any other syntax that you want to get to? Sure. I, um, I, I hate to pile on to the, the negative, but I mean, my other two quotes were positive. So I'll, yeah. I'll just yeah. point out one, one negative thing um, that I noticed that we kind of touched on. But this is from um, the story Manhunters, and this is from page 207. And it says, I had become so wrapped up in the elders, I forgot that the whole compound was present. 
When Elder Imani and I had entered HQ to begin the hearing, the other six elders were inside. They went over my report and told me that I would be examined in front of the whole compound. So I chose this because I was like, okay, (laughs) this is an example of where there's information here that I don't need. It's, again, being too explicit. That first sentence... That's all I need to know that the whole compound was there. Right, right. right. Why are you going back in time to explain to me that the whole compound would be there? I don't need that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so that is something that I noticed in in these stories, in, in several of these stories, is that it was either like too much explanation of something that didn't need it or too little explanation where there was more Mm -hmm. explanation necessary. So it was like, it's it was just writing that showed that it was a bit more i guess like immature in that they haven't set up their their style quite yet yeah no i think that's completely fair the exposition dumps in some of these short stories are egregious egregious yeah. like paragraphs of it that and we've been reading in the you know in our other review collection we've been doing a lot of these penguin little black classics I don't have any connection to 18th century England, whatever. I don't have much knowledge about that era. I've some, uh, but when I read short stories like those that we've read, even the ones I don't enjoy, the ones about peasants, peasants in Russia in 1800, I don't live there, but the delivery of the setting and the kind of like enveloping of the set, the way they envelop you in that setting is just done with more care, grace, and subtlety. It just is. I don't. There, there's just not five paragraphs explaining the kind of social hierarchy of Russia at the time to get the point across. And so it just—it's the wrong. It just the the seesaw tipped way too far. It just—it just, it just yeah. is. <laughs> there's, I don't know what yeah. else to say about it. Um, let's move to some critical assistance. We do like to end the book club episodes by calling in some reviews literary criticism anything we can find this is a recent publication from 2017 so there's not like a ton of you know deep academic criticism of it and so i just pulled from a couple reviews online i actually only have one quote i want to dig into though i pulled others and you can obviously throw out whatever this quote is from a magazine i'd never heard of called briar patch magazine but the review is pretty thoughtfully done it was written by a phd uh, some a doctor of lit somewhere I, for, I forgot her name sorry but look up briar patch and you'll find it um A quote she pulled, or I'm going to pull from her, was, More than merely a best-of collection, the anthology is a manual for organizing and resisting colonization, territorial occupation, as well as what anti-colonial theorist Franz Fanon described as internal colonization, quote, created by the death and burial of local cultural originality. Fanon's response in 1952 was to determine his own potential rather than seek recognition from the colonial state. I'm not a prisoner of history, he wrote in Black Skin, White Masks. I shall not seek there for the meaning of my destiny. There's a lot to unpack in that quote. I'll start with the part I really vehemently disagree with. This is not a good manual for organizing and resisting colonization. Manuals about resisting and becoming anti-colonial are good manuals for that. Like, this is not that. It's not good at that. (laughs) It doesn't... I don't walk away from this knowing actual history or technique... And I don't walk away with like a new subtle shift in my view of human people and how to approach them. I walk away with the worst of both. That is my view of this fiction like this. I I don't get out either thing that I want. Like, 
I I want like really intense academic cr- critical theory with anti-colonial bents. I took cl- classes of that nature, which is always the lamest thing. I'm not like listing credentials, but the point is like I think I know where to go to get that. And you can find really intense thoughtful stuff. This is not that. I don't know what they read that I missed because I did not come away from it feeling organized or that I could in some way articulate a new intellectual resistance in any way, frankly. The quote, the not being a prisoner of history, I shall seek my own meaning. Interesting for sure. Do you think though, here's, I'll pose this as a question to you then. Do you think that these stories did create the death and bury or, or no, no, rather, sorry, they, re- they would resurrect, rather. Do you think these resurrect some local cultural originality? Or let's just be even more broad. Is there originality here that that awoken something in you? Did you see some originality in thought or topic or anything that you can, like, take away from this? No. I don't think, I don't so. think so either. And, but... And so this may be coming from our own political and social positions, right? I don't need to be pitched on any of the ideas that were in this book. Any of them. Right. I don't, I'm not, don't need the sales pitch. I don't even need the intellectual deep dive or the back, you know, give me the, give me the 101 syllabus to it or whatever. And so I guess I was looking for rhetorical and literary cultural originality. And even that is, I think is just wanting here. I, and I suppose, again, we, as we covered earlier, you could come to this cold in terms of your knowledge of social justice movements. I, they're, again, it's an explicitly like commune anarchist collective group. Like You might not know what any of that means. You come to this cold. Will you come away feeling like some local cultural originality has been preserved? I, I just don't. I don't know. I don't, didn't think so. Um, Maybe some of the Detroit gentrification stuff, but even that, I think, could have done a little more with the local history of Detroit, but it it did, though. It did dabble in that. So maybe, in some ways, that story kind of saves, quote-unquote, some some of that stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, in the the review, both the reviews were, were fairly positive. I wouldn't say effusively so. There is a line in one of these about how, like, it's a little uneven, I don't know, though. Uh, any thoughts on th- these reviews, or do you have quotes you want to discuss or talk through in the critical aim section? Um, I do have um, something that I read, which was from um, something called Strange Horizons, which is an online magazine. Um, and mm-hmm. they, uh, this person pointed out a couple of things that I was like, oh, I didn't even think about it in this way. But um, the author was pointing out, uh, the author is Nino Cipri, mm-hmm. Cipri I'm assuming. Um, anyway, so the author writes that though some of the stories are international in scope, many of those are filtered through the specific experience of immigration. American social justice mm-hmm. movements have a tendency to speak in global terms without input from the rest of the world, and that, it seems, has come across in this volume as well. Huh. Yeah, so I was like, you know, the stories are, well, I mean, uh, Lali Bela was Ethiopian, right, but right. the issues there are are like American in scope in a lot of ways too. So I, I had not thought about that, that it, 
it's interesting to me that yes, a lot of our social movements in America, you know, we we bleed out into uh, global issues, Certainly. but we don't yeah. take into account what the rest of the world is actually saying. <laughs> yeah, no, I would certainly agree with the broader claim. I'd have to do a much more careful thinking about that claim in regards to this collection. I mean, there's a story in here about uh, space alien beings that Im- that suck in light. Uh, there's a story in here about a fantasy yeah. land where certain people have, like, they. it's almost like the giver, <laughs> where they contain, yeah. they sort of, like, are burdened with holding on to memories of... I, there was a the long memory. yeah. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think I read this collection that way though. The stories that are most explicitly tied into twenty twenty literal, like the superhero one, the climate change one, and maybe another couple I can't remember. I, yeah, they are pretty American. That's true. Like they're they're clearly dealing with recent American issues, but the rest of them felt pretty. F- you know far out there out out in the stratosphere of ideas that i i don't know if i would have tied in but maybe there maybe if i looked at the themes more carefully and the concerns and all that that it would feel kind of american in a way i hadn't really thought about that yeah i I, that was one comment that i was like oh that's an interesting take yeah yeah on this particular read um and then this this author also uh talks about whether the collection right fit the the visionary fiction right yeah. So uh, the author says, to me, this seems contradictory to the purpose of visionary fiction as outlined by the editors. Many of the stories bring us to the precipice, to the point at which things are as bad as they can possibly be. The wonderful point in stories where something must change and the status quo must be broken. But then they leave the reader hanging and don't show any way forward, nor the consequences of a monumental decision. Um, these stories left me unfulfilled on an existential level rather than with the simple dissatisfaction of, wait, what happened next? Are revolutions only beautiful in their promise, but never in their execution or even failure? And if so, do writers have no less of a duty to write those stories? Yeah. It's a great quote. So I thought that was really interesting and very pertinent to our discussion of whether these stories actually lived up to the definition of visionary fiction according to these editors. Yeah, I think that quote does do in succinct words, but maybe we should have just read that at the top. Then you wouldn't have to listen to me for (laughs) half an hour or whatever. (laughs) No, I think, yeah, that in a very succinct way gets it part of the dread, the existential just dread of this is just, it doesn't pay off in either regard, I suppose. And I think, Mm -hmm. I I think I can think of some stories that deal with revolution in, in the way that revolutions tend to get messy, you know, for better or worse. And, there's just so much historicity behind that. You can go read so much nonfiction about revolutions and history of revolutions. America had a pretty famous one, by the way. People these days seem to forget that. <laughs> um, yeah, people who have taken a counter-protester stance these days have very strange readings of American history, which is literally just a bunch yeah. of like thieves who made a nation because they wanted more money. <laughs> it's yeah, literally yeah. it. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, anyway, it's... I, I don't know. I got another quote here from the Briar Patch one. Let me read this one, see what you think of it. It says, The impetus and hope of Octavia's brood is to use sci-fi not to merely describe social conditions, but to instigate social change. If we want to bring new worlds into existence, Brown writes, then we need to challenge the narratives that uphold current power dynamics and patterns, which I believe is from either the intro or a story itself. Do you feel like, do you feel like this does that? And maybe more specifically, it says 
the it's not just describing but instigating social change what do you think did these do that i don't i don't think so and i think that if we go back to the criticism that i just read it's there's not even a lot of the time a description of the social conditions right it's just a statement of social conditions without an actual description of it yes is a, an issue there yeah but also to instigate instigate social change again we just aren't invested enough as readers right right as right. people who already agree with some of the issues that they're bringing up like okay yeah sure i mean but i was already thinking that way anyway yeah. but to to instigate change social change i don't think that these stories would would be able to do that no and i think when when i think back to the collection we've done I don't know what we want to call this book club anthology we've done, the Black Lives Matter anthology or the, I don't know, representation in fiction or who knows. We, we never came up with the title because it doesn't matter. The work matters, the title. It's what we've been doing. We've explained it. But yeah. if I had to think of a work that fits that description, it's probably the Coats. I mean, right? Not only, and again, my bias is so obvious here. It's nonfiction, which I feel like if you need to be just punched in the chest in terms of like just waking you up, I just feel like nonfiction can do that in a much cleaner, faster way. And his voice was just so urgent and really brutal at times, really ruthless, yeah. uh, which it needed to be. Uh, and also kind of, you know, really loving with the, some of the sun stuff in there, but really brutal. And so I just feel like if you need to be shaken in that way, if you want to be feel like you're getting instigated, I, I just feel like that's the work I'd recommend here from the ones we've tackled, the ones we've read. In terms of challenging narratives, uh, or we need to challenge narratives that uphold current power dynamics and patterns. I don't know. Do you feel like we've read any fiction in this series that would that would challenge those things? I feel like maybe the Underground Railroad did that in some ways, but man, the ending of that story, though, it, the only thing yeah. it challenges is the notion of any escape or any heroism in the face of it. And so that... That is a bit of a challenge to the American, you know, individualism and heroism as as kind of cultural touchstone. So maybe that does challenge that. Any any of them that you can think of that we've read that do that? I think Coates for yeah, me because, yeah. right, his whole thing is about like, well, this is what uh, people who don't live in these conditions, this is what they see, which means this is what they believe, right? Because right? They, they don't understand the situation without and he's not offering solutions he's just stating not only what he's lived through and what he has experienced but also he's saying well this is why people who don't live these experiences yeah. act the way they do and even like even the faction within the 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 black community for him where he's saying well there's this action or this action and this is why there's like a division there uh, he's definitely He's question. He's not questioning, but he's just laying out for us the different perspectives and explaining why those perspectives exist. Yeah. And by doing that, we challenge the reader is then challenged to kind of refocus and to look at all these perspectives and say, "Oh man, I didn't even look at it this way." Yeah. So I think that he is the most successful actually when it comes to both challenging the power dynamics and patterns, but also instigating the social change. And he, I think, comes the closest to offering really a new framework for thought. 
It's his his yeah. vision of the, the way, he, and we talked about this on that episode, but his language around bodies and kind of reappropriating that word for for and putting it in that history and kind of making giving it a new meaning is the closest thing to a like real kind of sociological reframing and understanding of a of a thing of a concept of a history of a you know people and so that's probably the closest that gets me to that too that book was criticized for not having solutions which is again i found kind of preposterous when it came out um, those seemed like maybe even bad faith takes because that that's not a manual of that's not a policy recommendation packet. It's that that work right. is, of course, it edges on that with there's some ideas and he built his idea of reparations off of that in a way. But it just wasn't it was meant to be a memoir and a remembrance and sort of like a history, not so much, you know, here's how you can fix me now, please. You know, it's just people people coming at it for that or maybe that's insincere. But yeah, it did. It did make me think of the coats, though, and. Uh, we've covered so many amazing things on here. I don't feel totally bad about what we've done here today. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel, even really feel that bad about putting it out there into the internet. And if you've listened this much and you haven't read this, um, we're accustomed to recommending books on the show and reviewing a lot. So I would say I wouldn't recommend this, but I'm, I don't know if you want to give a sign out in that regard. Um, I would not recommend this to anyone that you're trying to change their mind on issues and um, if you're not right if you're if you yourself yeah. have heard all this and thought yeah i'm on board you know I, these are issues i care about and i'm informed and all that you know how much amazing fiction we've read in this series already i mean it's early days but like go read the underground <laughs> yeah. railroad that story was incredible and really devastating really, at yeah. the end and then the sing unburied sing was like a real monumental work of a hundred ideas you know like that has mm real moments of intensity and literary brilliance, like real flashes of just genius and interwoven things. Go, it just, I feel like I'd recommend other stuff we've read, I guess. And that's, this is up, up against some stiff competition. I'm not sure if you feel that way yeah. too. For sure. Yeah. hundred percent. But I, you know, I was talking to, I think a friend about this recently. It's been fascinating reading this. I truly, I don't know. I'm almost grateful. I really have not read something in a very long time that I've disliked as much as some of this. And it was almost illuminating to do so. I don't, I, you know, mm-hmm. I think reading time is precious. And I get that we speak maybe a, li- a little into an echo chamber because I know we read more than probably your average just adult person. So I think, you know, I don't, I don't want to go out of my way to say, go read something that will challenge you and maybe that you'll really dislike today, you know, and I'm one who researches things usually before I read, but this was, yeah, I don't know. It was fascinating exercise and it led to a conversation equally rich that I was hoping we would have. What's your overall takeaway from the experience of it? Do you feel like it was worth it? I think, yeah, I I do think that it was worth it uh, simply because it did spark some interesting conversation, not so much about like the, the social aspect of it, just because we already do agree with many of the ideas in here, but it was a great discussion on like discovering more about what we like and dislike about literature. And it also uh, was nice to kind of like hone in on like with the science fiction short story, uh, what could and could not work within the the premises of, of that genre. Certainly, certainly. And it, yes, it did. I'm thinking of authors who have written sci-fi kind of short story collections I've loved. Some are Ken, Ken Liu is one, and the other one is Ted Chiang, and the other one would be George Saunders. All men, unfortunately, but they 
they write incredible stuff and I've really they're enjoyed their short stories. They are ones to me that find the balance well. Granted, mm-hmm. I will say this also, they also give a lot more word and page count to those tales. I, I think in general, and I, I came away from this collection, I think my, here's what I'll end on and then I'll leave it to you to f- finish this out. My Maybe my most generous thought with some of this, and it kind of led to the fill in the blank, was if given double word count, could some of these have found some kind of foothold in me you know were there a couple of them in there that if if they i don't know if they were restricted or they wanted 25 and they you know but if this were 10 and they were allowed to breathe maybe a little more i feel like maybe that would have done something you know for me personally Mm -hmm. they were just so rapid fire and it really led to really sloppy stuff in terms of the storytelling for me so I think, and so when I mention those authors who I admire and I really love their fantastical short stories, that is, I think, something that should be mentioned too. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts on this collection, Amanda? Uh, no, I think I'm Okay. Good. Well, we, for our next book club, in the same series focusing on black authors, or I think we're just going to broaden this at this point because this one kind of did. Um, not for this entry, but just in general, we'll call it kind of our, maybe our representation book clubs. I don't know. That feels corny. We'll come up with something. <laughs> Until then, we'll just keep introducing them in the same way. I'm sure if you've listened this yeah. far, it's fine. But uh, we are going to cover a book that won the National Book Award and was turned into a show recently. It's called The Good Lord Bird. It's a novel of, I don't know, roughly 400 or so pages, so a bit more of an investment read. I have done about 100 pages so far, which is why I'm picking it to force myself to finish. Forced, not the right verb, because I've really enjoyed it. I think it's got a charming voice. It's written in a real colloquial way, and it's kind of in, it's got the old-timey language going on, and it's kind of really intense, but it portrays John Brown as really just a a biblical figure and a really intense uh, abolitionist in a kind of beautiful but really chaotic way. He's uh, in the D&D crowd. He's chaotic good. He's like a madness <laughs> chaotic good. I mean, way off the chart. He's like way in the top left corner. Where is that top left corner? Do you know what I'm talking about? Chaotic, chaotic good? Yeah. Uh, Bottom I think left it corner? goes lawful to chaotic, so it would be, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, so I think lawful is left. Got it. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Got it. Yeah. So for you D&D heads out there, this this man in this story, who's not the narrator or main character, to be clear, someone follows him around. He's just kind of the main figure. But yeah, he is he is madly chaotic good. And so should make for a nice, I don't know, a nice journey back to, I'm such a sucker though for like award winning stuff. I, you know. I look up reviews and all that, so this one seems like kind of a home run, so to speak, and should be an entertaining read. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, and until next time, we will see you between the pages. 